Hello, my name is Greg. I also go by Soul Blazer on the Atari Age forums. And this is a podcast I've been wanting to do for a while now. I had mentioned to people I wanted to talk about this, but I figured it would be easier to do a voice recording of it than try and actually type the whole thing out. Uh, and this podcast is going to be about my experiences um, in a very fortunate situation, I think, uh, having a mother who managed a video store for most of my uh, teenage years. Uh, growing up in the 80s and, and 90s, uh, especially with regard to getting my hands on new movies and new NES games. Uh, a little bit of information about myself first, some background knowledge. Uh, I was born in 1976, so I'm 38 years old, and we moved around a lot when I was a young kid. Uh, eventually, we, eventually, my parents decided that they had to settle in one place in a more permanent basis uh, to give me a good education and help set up my roots like in like one area. So even though I was born in Mass and I'm a native New Englander, where I still am now, uh, we did move around quite a lot before the age of eight. And finally in 1984, we set out in the town of Amherst, New Hampshire, uh, which is a little bit near Nashville if you're familiar with the area. At the time, that was a pretty small town. I've been up there last couple years ago and it's not quite so small anymore. So it's really Amazing how much that area has just grown over the last like 20 years or so. Um, anyway, uh, very shortly after my mom uh, and my dad and myself moved there to that town, uh, I was eight years old at the time, she started working in a video store. And apparently her work there got noticed by somebody else because she was given the offer to manage a video store that the guy wanted to own and operate. And that video store opened up in 1986 when I was 10 years old. Uh, for anybody who might be in the New Hampshire area and, you, uh, and the small possibility that you might recognize a name, uh, the name of the video store was Cinemascope Video, located in Milford, New Hampshire, which is next door to Amherst. So this was a pretty different time as far as, as, far as being able to get your hands on easy stuff for popular entertainment. Um, a lot of folks in those days, like my mom has told me, uh, didn't have VCRs yet. It was common, she said, for a group of teenagers, for example, to pull their money on a weekend and get their hands on a VCR and several movies and just kind of watch that stuff like over the weekend. VCRs were starting to come down in price by that point, but they're still pretty expensive, especially in regards to like mid-1980 dollars. So um, the video store did quite well, thanks to her management. And about two years after that, 1988, she started looking at the possibility, and uh, encouraged to do so by her boss, of, of expanding and starting to rent some NES games instead at the, instead at the store. I had gotten an NES myself for Christmas of 1987 and really was a big fan of it. I've always enjoyed video games. I, I, up to that point, I'd had an Atari 2600, uh, which I was given in 1982 when I was six, and I also had a Commodore 128D, which is basically a disk drive internal model of the 128, which is a self-expanded version of the 64, uh, which I received for Christmas of 1985. And I was using both those things to game on, most of the commoner by that point. Uh, but the NES was really a great system for so many reasons. Um, and the popularity of the system by 1988 was really expanding as it started to take over a very, very large chunk of the video game market share uh, for itself. So we looked at the possibility of doing the video game rentals and it was encouraged by the fact that Blockbuster started doing video game rentals themselves at that point. Um, Nintendo was trying to challenge the legality of Blockbuster and presumably other places from renting video games claiming hurt their profits. 
Um, but that lawsuit was very slowly winding its way through the court system, so nobody's really quite sure how that was going to end out at that time. But my mom and her boss was encouraged by the fact that, so far, Blockbuster had not had been able to fight off an injunction request on them, and they were still able to rent the games. So I was uh, 12 years old at that time in 1988, and my parents were really never very big gamers. I could get them to play occasionally, but it was a very occasional, casual basis as far as that went. Um, I remember my mom and dad playing a little bowling um, on the 2600 when I was young. I could get my mom to play some games of Pac-Man or Wheel of Fortune with me occasionally, and my dad's a big Tetris fan. Um, but with those limited exceptions, I really was not able to get them to really do very much. Um, but they were tolerant as far as my game playing. As long as I got my grades up, as long as I didn't let it consume my life, um, they were content to let me just simply go ahead and play my games on an occasional basis. I usually spent most of my time on the weekend, because weekend was when I had more of a chance to, to do the game playing. But I wouldn't say that they were supportive, but they were at least understanding of the, of the fact that I was playing these games. So I saw the fact that my mom wanted to rent video, game store, or video games at her store as being a chance to, um, to be able to, well, several things. It was a chance of being able to bond with her, like in a way. Um, I, I was pretty close to my parents, being an only child. Um, but here was a chance to talk, to talk about something I was very passionately interested in. Because uh, I was getting, uh, I was getting like Nintendo Power at the point. And I was reading a bunch of magazines, and of course everybody at school talked about the system and the games and whatnot. So I kind of had my ear to the ground as far as what was going on, what was coming out, uh, popular new games, that kind of stuff. And really, any kid of that age who's into video games would love the chance to be able to get their hands on games like that because just because of all the advantages that it offered. I already seen the advantages, uh, advantages in the last couple of years of movies. We would get movies months before the movies were released on... Uh, um, uh, for the VHS market, because the companies would send uh, screeners, basically full movies that were just watermarked here and there with the company name or, or what have you, to my mom in, in the hopes of getting her to buy them for the store. So I already had the advantage of knowing how awesome that was, being able to get all these new movies months before they came out, uh, having friends over to watch them with me. It made me fairly popular at school. I was always a bit of a, uh, a geek in those days, um, and I was also a bit shy and socially insecure and that kind of stuff. I did have some close friends, and having the advantage uh, of those of those movies was definitely a godsend as far as that went, as far as being able to maximize what limited popularity that I had, like in my own social circle. So, when we actually sat down and talked about it, I was more than happy to help her out with the project. And we had to look at numerous things, though, before we actually go ahead with trying to actually do this. It wasn't totally uncharted ground, but there was a fact that she wasn't really totally sure what to do, and I kind of had my own idea of what to, how to go about doing this. We decided upon, first of all, that we had to order an initial bunch of games, obviously, to, uh, to have the games out there to be able to rent out to the general populace. I think we decided upon doing about 50 games uh, to start with. In uh, 1988, the, the, the NES library was starting to expand at a pretty good clip uh, um, by this point. Um, this was during the summer, so the biggest games of the year, Zelda and Mario 2, I'm sorry, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, and Super Mario Bros. 2 were not yet available. But the third parties were really starting to make games for the system and mass by this point, and there was a good selection of games to pick from. Um, I did a little bit of 
quote-unquote research by looking through Nintendo Power issues and trying to find out the games that uh, had been reviewed well, had been featured prominently. Um, that really seemed interesting. I want to try to get a bunch of games that would appeal to a wide spectrum of, of tastes and interests. Uh, some RPGs, some uh, adventure games, some platformers, uh, basically a little bit of everything um, to try to expand the interest and to try to make the the game rental a good source of income and encourage her to keep to keep on doing this because of course I saw the advantages of doing this myself also. If we can do this for for a while, you know, I'd be able to get the same advantages to new games I was currently enjoying on new movies. So I sat down with her um, over the course of, of several of several days or uh, in one week from what I remember, and I made up a list of games I thought that she should order for the store. Some of the games I had played played for in the past or currently owned and knew they were good. Some games looked very promising from what they said in the issues. Um, I don't know a company that she ordered the games from, but there certainly were um, dis distributors, mail order companies, what have you, that were more than happy to sell the games to her. Uh, we agreed upon a price. If I remember correctly, originally the price was set for either a uh, overnight or two-day rental period. The two-day one being more encouraged for weekend use by lowering the price a little bit on um, the two-day rental for the weekends. It was probably something like, I think it was like $3 for an overnight rental and $5 for the two-day, from what I remember from what we first started with. Um, I did ask my mom for her recollections and memories as much as she could before I started doing this, but but it was a long time ago, and for what she remembers, we're just kind of limited. So I'm trying to fill in the gaps and pieces best I can here with this. So we decided upon the game, decided upon the price. Uh, it was cheaper than what Blockbuster and other video stores at the time were currently renting the games for. And then there became the issue of what to do about the instructions, because that was going to be kind of a touchy subject, uh, mostly for the reason that, again, like I said, the Supreme Court case uh, involving Blockbuster renting games had not yet reached them yet and had not made a decision on it, so we weren't quite sure what to do with the instructions. In the end, what we decided to do was to photocopy the manuals. Um, at the time, there was no law saying you couldn't do that. Like I said, like I said, the case between Ten and Blockbuster hadn't yet reached the hadn't yet reached the Supreme Court, so we didn't want to give up the original manuals. So we decided to photocopy them was the best thing to do. So I took some, she took some, um, and then we kind of split the duty between us of photocopying the manuals. Some of them I copied at school quietly in the library after 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 the, after the day was done, so nobody would say anything about it. And some other ones she, I think she took them to the library and photocopied them, you know, by paying the fees for it. So I still remember that day that the boxes of the games finally showed up at the house because the, because she decided to bring the games home home for me to try out and to be able to put the manuals into them. And you can imagine just what a Nirvana day that was to a kid like me, just being able to get dozens and dozens of new games that one hadn't actually played before. Just the, the, the sheer enjoyment of just going gaga like over all those games and, and those shiny new boxes. It was just totally awesome. Uh, there were so many great games included in that list. Uh, a lot of the classics that were in there, like for those, uh, Dragon Warrior. I remember playing that for, for like the first time, like through that. Um, Ghost and Goblins, uh, 1942. Um, really, just a whole bunch of the early classic games from the 86 to 88 period. 
Um, I believe Bionic Commando was there. Um, and and played on the games like that. So, and then became the question of what to do about the boxes. We didn't want to give out the boxes either. There were already at this point a couple of companies that were offering what was called um, uh, mini instructions or instructions on a sheet. Uh, you clickers out there have probably seen these. Uh, she ordered a bunch of plastic cases that was molded to allow the cart to fit in the case and then on the inner flap or the inner lid of the box actually there was room for a sheet of instructions to be glued onto. And she got samples of these instructions from several companies like me to compare and contrast. There was one company, I don't remember the name of it, but there's one company that did a lot of the instructions for Blockbuster and a lot of other video stores I noticed that I rented games. Um, I thought it was pretty crappy to be honest because I don't think the instructions that they offered did a very good job of summarizing the manual and the important information that somebody would need to be able to enjoy the, the game fully. So in the end, I rejected that one. But there was another company. They, it was a bit more expensive, like when I remember. Um, I had to convince my mom that these instructions were like the better ones to order because they were, like I said, a little bit more pricey. But they gave a very, very good summary of instructions. And not only had a picture of the controller showing the um, the controls, what the A button did, the B button did, etc., but they also summarized all the critical things of the game very nicely. And they also went above and beyond by offering things like uh, hints and tips and strategies and tactics. And for games that involved material and supplemental um, materials, they included that in part of, as part of the instructions. One infamous example I can remember: Star Tropics. When that game came out. Anybody who's played Jar Tropics may remember that the game included a letter from your uncle that later on in the game you're instructed to place in the water to reveal a message written in uh, invisible ink that would show you the code you need to, need to progress in the game. Well, we didn't want to include the, the sheet with the game, of course, but the instructions that we had for the game, the, the main instructions by this company, included the code on it. So anybody who rented the game from us would at least be able to progress by that past that point. Uh, you're welcome to anybody who actually did have that experience, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, once all that stuff was done, instructions came in. Uh, it took a while for instructions to come in, so I had a couple weeks where I had all these games sitting at the house, and I was just totally in heaven. You know, to sample this game and that game and whatnot, and I had all my friends over on a regular basis, trying them out. It was just simply pure heaven. So finally, we had everything ready. Um, the games were in the cases, the manuals, um, the instruction sheets, I'm sorry, like were applied, um, and so on and so on. Actually, I'm sorry, let me go, you know, let me go back there for a second. Uh, we did originally include the game photocopic manuals. We'd only been renting the games for a couple months before the Supreme Court decision came down about Blockbuster uh, and, and Nintendo renting, renting the games, though. Uh, the upshot of that decision was that while the Blockbuster and any other store could legally be allowed to rent games, they could not uh, photocopy instructions. That was considered to be a copyright violation. So we only rented the games for a couple months with the instruction manuals before that court case came down, and that's when we went ahead and replaced the manuals with the instruction sheets I was just talking about. Um, I jumped ahead a little bit there, sorry about that. But um, once everything was done and we put the games out for rental, we found everything was going very, very well. Um, the popularity of Nintendo at that time, of course, was huge, being 1988, um, going to 1989 when the popularity of the system was getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the game rentals were strong and people had good, good things to say about them. 
I actually was glad to be able to sit down with my mom once a month for the new issue of Tino Power and being able to go over with her, um, you know, this game looks promising, this game looks good, uh, if you can get this one for cheap, it should be worthwhile. Um, we'd look at some of the figures for, 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 for like game rentals, see which ones are popular, which ones were not. Um, any games that didn't really do all that well would be retired or at least put in the back for several months. Um, because, because of course, shelf space was limited and didn't do any good to put games out there that weren't renting all that well. Um, it was simply amazing being able to get these new games uh, really for free, basically. I mean, um, she didn't really get the games any faster than the stores got them. Um, but being able to have the game like that, and I was able to allow, allow to keep it for a week or so, up to, up to a week with some of the games, before the game went back to the store and started, and started its rental life. And there were a number of games that she decided to just let me keep uh, permanently after like after a while uh, because the game either was uh, not doing all that well at the store or because of the fact that I was doing the game so much that she just simply let me keep that copy and bought another one for the store. So bonding with her, like I said earlier, because she really wasn't into video games, this is sort of simply business for her. Bonding with her in this way, being able to talk about something I was really passionately interested in uh, with these games and whatnot was really an amazing thing to go through. It's still something I really tr I treasure a lot these days as far as memories go. So uh, the months and then the years passed, and I helped out with their process as much as I could. Um, they would they had a Nintendo cleaning kit uh, and one of those official ones at the store, which they often would, would use to clean the games after they came back from rental. But if a game really got messed up, uh, needed a very serious cleaning or whatnot, she'd bring it home to me and I'd work on it with a stronger solution of alcohol and that kind of stuff to get it cleaning. Uh, a couple games had broke here or there. I'd test the games out, uh, bought a screwdriver to open them up so I could get into them, uh, fix them up best I could, like in that case. Um, I was always able to get the games uh, when I wanted them. Uh, if, for example, it was a, a Friday night and I had a friend coming over, I'd call up and say, hey, is this game in? Is, this, is that game in? I can bring it home for us? So just like with the movies I mentioned, I mentioned earlier, being able to access to all these dozens and dozens of either new or popular games is really an amazing thing and, and helped me to feed my Nintendo uh, haddock. Um, uh, haddock, yeah, I'll be okay. I, um, Nintendo habit at the time, uh, being able to get the video games like on hand. So there were so many great games I first was able to experience and get get this way. Uh, Final Fantasy, uh, Pirates, um, the Ninja Gaiden games, uh, Blaster Master, Bionic Commando, uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, the list goes on and on. And it was really just a great, great time those years, being able to get all these games uh, and it's just, just get them basically whenever I want to and be able to help my uh, and really give experience what I consider to be one of the best periods periods of time as far as video gaming went uh, like of these games so um, the years passed and it got to be 1992 the Super Nintendo was out at that point I had bought one in, in Christmas of 91 the first major purchase I had done in like, my own money um, and we looked into the possibility of starting to expand to include Super NES and Genesis games at the store as well. And that started to be done in 1992 as well. Um, so we continued to rent out the games. And um, 92, 93, I was in high school. I started high school in 1990. Uh, so my interest in gaming was waning a little bit, but I was still gaming a lot. 
Uh, but I was getting more probably with the Super NES at that point because that's the system I decided on. I was still playing a lot of NES games and I was still definitely encouraging her and helping her to buy the NES games, but the focus was shifting more and more to Super NES as the months went on. Um, not that there weren't some great games that came out late in Ennius's lifestyle. There were. 92, 93, even 94 of Star Tropics 2 uh, had some really like, great games on it. And I was still able to get those games uh, like in the store like when they came in. But eventually I went off to college in September of 1994 uh, when I was 18. And I brought the Super NES with me, but the NES stayed home because by that point I really had lost most of my interest in the system. Uh, the system was just about dead at that point. The last games for the system was coming out uh, at that point. Nintendo stopped producing the system the following year. And I really was more interested in the Super NES uh, than I was in the NES at like, that point. So I went off to college and that pretty much stopped any involvement that I had in my mom as far as helping out like at the video store um, and with the video game rentals. Uh, she, in turn, was getting a little bit disgruntled with the job for various reasons, and they eventually decided to move to Knoxville, Tennessee uh, from Amherst, New Hampshire during the summer of 1995. She turned the reins of the store over to her assistant manager, um, who they had a good working relationship, and they moved south, and they're still in Knoxville uh, like this day. I try to go down once a year to uh, visit them for either Thanksgiving, Christmas time, or sometime in December, like whenever I can. So, um, that store continued to be run by that manager for many, many years after that. Um, they finally shut down for good in 2009. Uh, by that point, of course, Netflix and all the other, and, and Redbox and everything else online was starting to really cut into profits, and the mom and pop video stores were pretty much dead. Um, that store lasted longer than most of the other stores, like the surrounding towns, did. So, if, so I, I'm, I'm sure they got rid of their NES games years and years before that. I don't know when they have actually got rid of them. Like I said, when my mom uh, left the store in December 95, she was still renting the NES games. Uh, obviously, by that point, Super NES Genesis had taken priority. Uh, I know they still kept renting video games up until they closed, just going on to the newer and better things, N N64, PlayStation, uh, that kind of stuff. So, um, Looking back at those times, it really was a very unique chance. I think I was very fortunate as a kid being able to be in, it, to, 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 to being able to be in that position. I don't know anybody else I've talked to over the years who was quite like in that position. Uh, I think the only position that would, could have been better for a young kid interested in video games would have been to have somebody who was actually a programmer or actually worked directly at one of these large video game companies. But having somebody who managed and operated their own video games, uh, their own video games on movies at a store was an amazing experience. Uh, it was just really, really great being able to get all those games. I don't know what I would have done. I, I'm sure I would have played all of them eventually, but like many systems, when I didn't have easy or cheap access to games, I didn't really get to fully experience how great those systems were until many, many years later, uh, thanks to emulation. Um, so being able to have this unique chance to be able to get my hands on the newest and greatest really gave me uh, a, a, a massive appreciation and perspective of the wide breadth of the NES library and how many great games that there were for it. And junk games. Rentals were very good at being able to help you avoid which games not to buy at full price at the store, that was for sure. So um, it was very beneficial both for me and I think like my parents as far as being able to know what money to spend on what games for me because they weren't taking crapshoots. 
on things that I wouldn't enjoy because I knew from playing the games in the store that I'd like this game or that game or whatnot. So um, it was very helpful in many ways, and it was a very heady time in playing video games uh, that period from the 80s to the early 90s, and I wouldn't give it up for anything. It was a very um, magical experience, really. Um, and um, um, just just very, very beneficial and a very wonderful time. And uh, and uh, and if anybody out there who listening to this is in a position somewhat similar where they're able to get their hands on these games for uh, cheap, um, you know, for cheaper or no cost for long periods of time, thanks to something, something like this, I would very much like love hearing from you. Um, any kind of feedback on this podcast actually would be great because this is kind of an episode zero for me. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while, like I said, more than a year. And I just figured it would be easier to talk about it verbally and find a, take the time to write all this down. Uh, but I've also been giving some serious thought to doing a podcast of my own. Uh, I've been inspired by a lot of the great podcasters out there. Uh, I only started listening really to the to retro gaming and modern gaming podcasts back in April when I started doing a new job. And there have been many, many great podcasts out there and many great podcasters that have really inspired me. Um, just there's so many great ones out there I couldn't possibly try to name them all but just to give a few off the top of my head uh, Ferg of his Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast uh, Carrington and Mike like the No Quarter podcast uh, Flack with his uh, You Don't Know Flack podcast um, there's also the Televisionary Guys um, and Willie and SoCal Mike and Gamester81 for the uh, ColecoVision uh, podcast uh, the RGR podcast um and the two dudes in NES one, just really some great, amazing podcasts out there, and uh, they've really inspired me. I really have enjoyed listening to them on a regular basis. It helps their work never helped me to pass to pass the work day, and uh, I've really been wanting to do one like of my own. Um, I, I'm giving serious thought to doing one on what seems to be the one major classic system that nobody's done a dedicated podcast for yet, which is the Super Nintendo. Uh, the Super Nintendo was my second favorite system of all time, next to the NES, like I, like I was just talking about. And while I've heard individual episodes talking about the Super NES, uh, for example, IG, IGN has done a couple every now and then, I've not heard anybody do a dedicated podcast, um, and I really would like to go ahead with doing it. Um, I also very much, though, would like to get a co-host, someone who can help me out with the podcast, because I know it's a lot of work. I'm just a newbie when it comes to this as far as co-recording and editing and that kind of stuff and having the help of somebody um, who's either currently doing a podcast or who's thinking about doing one themselves would really be appreciative. So I guess I'm kind of just mentioning this because I'm also kind of trying to put out a feeler out there to see if anybody may be interested in possibly doing a Super NES podcast with me. Um, the format I was thinking about was doing one very similar to how Ferg and the televisionaries uh, and the two dudes uh, do theirs. Just focus upon a game or two like each podcast on either a weekly or bi-weekly basis. I really would like to talk about the hidden gems of the library the Super, because the Super NES, like the NES, had a lot of great games for it that many people didn't notice or appreciate for one reason or another. Um, I'm not opposed to talking about the popular, the big games like the RPGs or some of the action games out there and whatnot, but I really want to talk about some of the more... Um, uh, hidden Games. Uh, Retro Obscura is another great podcast out there I have mentioned and, and, and I really love how they try to focus upon obscure games that they um, that they feel that nobody really has given the proper attention to that they should have been. 
So um, if anybody really has any interest in possibly doing this with me, uh, please, by all means, let me know. Um, you, can, you can reach me on Atari Age. Um, just send me a PM there. My, uh, my username is so blazer. Um, or you can also feel free to send me an email if you want to uh, at gpolander at yahoo.com. And I will be glad to respond to any feedback. Um, like I said, this is just kind of a test episode for me. I'm just kind of kind of killing two birds with one stone, both by doing this at the, doing this NES remembering podcast that like I want to do and, and talking about my possible interest in, in doing a, a Super NES podcast of my own. Um, so any kind of feedback, um, ideas, uh, suggestions, whatever would be great to hear from. Like I said, I know this is a bit rough, um, but I do appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. I hope it was interesting and ent- entertaining. And if you have any room, stories or experiences or whatnot with the uh, game rentals or uh, maybe you were in a position like me and being able to get your hands on games for no cost or help somebody out with it, um, I really, really would love to hear from you. Um, I, I, I think this is a very uh, interesting thing talking about our memories and experiences experiences with video games, uh, classic systems of the past, um, and I really love talking about this. I guess I really am very passionate with all games in general, both classic and modern games, because I still play uh, both classic and modern games a lot uh, these days as time allows. So, um, but I definitely have the I definitely have the desire and the willpower and the time to do a podcast, and I just really. And not still, not, I'm, I just really still am on the fence about going ahead with it. So any kind of uh, suggestions or feedback or comments, if I get away, would really be uh, a wonderful thing to hear, I think. So anyway, um, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I hope this finds you good health. And uh, thank you again for your um, half an hour of your life listening to me babble on about my experience in the past like this. <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much and have a good day.